Chapter Nine, Part Three of Twenty Years of the Republic, eighteen eighty five to nineteen hundred five, by Harry Thurston Peck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Bond Sales and Venezuela, Part Three. Finally, Great Britain had at times offered to arbitrate her claims to a part of the territory in dispute but she absolutely refused to submit to arbitration the status of lands on which british subjects had for years been settled some years after an intimate friend of mr cleveland's was asked how the president felt when he read these two dispatches felt was the reply conveyed in an expressive americanism why he felt mad clear through on december seventeenth he sent to congress a message accompanied by the entire correspondence it had become generally known in washington that something out of the ordinary was impending but no one was prepared for so stirring and uncompromising a missive as the reading of it proceeded a dead silence settled upon the house and every ear was strained to catch the slightest word the message began by a brief recapitulation of the facts the nature of the controversy between venezuela and great britain the direct interest of the united states in resisting unproved claims of any european power to american territory the request of the united states that great britain submit its alleged rights to a court of arbitration and the absolute refusal of great britain to do so or even to admit that the united states had any just concern in the affair at all having thus summed up the facts the president declared the duty of the united states to be a very plain one since great britain refuses to allow the true boundary to be determined by disinterested arbitration this government must for itself ascertain that boundary through a commission when the commission shall report that certain territory belongs of right to venezuela it will be the duty of the united states to resist by every means in its power as a wilful aggression upon its rights and interests the appropriation by great britain of such territory and then occurred these ominously weighty words in making these recommendations i am fully alive to the responsibility incurred and keenly realize all the consequences that may follow the reading of this message was received in each of the two houses with a tumult of wild applause from republicans and democrats alike the former if anything were the more enthusiastic they had long taunted the president with what they called his subserviency to england and to english interests and so they dared not now appear less strenuous than he in behalf of a warlike policy yet it is unnecessary to ascribe their attitude at the moment to motives such as this a vigorous defence of the monroe doctrine appeals to all americans and in any sudden crisis that pits the united states against a foreign power party divisions vanish therefore at once mr hitt of illinois the republican leader of the house introduced a bill appropriating one hundred thousand dollars for the expense of such a commission as the president had suggested this bill was passed in the house without delay and though in the senate mr sherman of ohio suggested that it be referred to a committee it became a law within three days note twenty eight page four twenty five not a single vote in either house was cast against it republicans vied with democrats in praising the boldness and patriotism of the president from all over the country came messages of congratulation and approval the most partisan of republican papers such as the new york tribune eulogized the president's action it is american in letter and spirit and in a calm dispassionate manner upholds the honor of the nation and ensures its security when a brief summary of the message was cabled to london on the afternoon of the seventeenth the british public refused to take the matter seriously 
they had not heard a word of this venezuelan dispute what on earth did it all mean what was it all about men rubbed their eyes and puzzled over the cabled news with utter amazement and incredulity surely this was only some bit of american nonsense a political dodge a touch of sorry buncombe on the following morning certain members of the london stock exchange sent a cablegram to the new york exchange to express their notion that the affair was wholly humorous the allusion in it was to the yacht races for the american cup the cablegram read when our warships enter new york harbor we hope that your excursion boats will not interfere with them perhaps there was conveyed in this besides the obvious jest a hint that the american defences were practically limited to excursion boats the new york brokers were prompt with their reply they cabled for your sake it is to be hoped that your warships are better than your yachts but by this time the full text of the president's message had been published in england and something like a panic followed it was impossible to doubt the gravity of the situation after reading those grimly measured sentences in them there was no touch of bluster no suggestion of anything like jingoism an unfaltering sense of duty a profound conviction of right and the note of an inflexible purpose these were what men found in the words which an english writer described as being full of stateliness and force when the true meaning of the message dawned upon the british people a wave of consternation swept over the country not because england shrank from war as war but because the very thought of war with their own kindred affected englishmen with a moral horror war with america is unthinkable was said again and again clergymen spoke from their pulpits of the criminality of such a thing the newspapers declared it to be quite impossible note twenty nine page four twenty seven the man in the street puzzled and confused experienced a feeling of bewilderment then a most unprecedented incident occurred on new year's day three hundred fifty four members of the house of commons signed and sent to the president and to congress a memorial asking that in the future all questions at issue between great britain and the united states be referred to arbitration there was an amusing lack of logic shown in sending this memorial to the president and congress inasmuch as both had striven earnestly to have the venezuelan question arbitrated that it might better have been addressed to lord salisbury was fairly obvious yet the meaning of it was clear enough it was indirectly a disclaimer of the premier's action and also an appeal for peace in like manner an address was prepared and largely signed by british authors to their american brothers of the pen deprecating the thought of war and asking their influence in behalf of international goodwill of course not all englishmen were anxious for an amicable settlement of the dispute the jingo and the fire-eater were here and there in evidence when the british authors were preparing their address mr morley roberts wrote and published a very characteristic letter in which he voiced the secret thoughts of many tories said he no englishman with imperial instincts can look with anything but contempt on the monroe doctrine the english and not the inhabitants of the united states are the greatest power in the two americas and no dog of a republic can open its mouth to bark without our good leave those who sign this precious paper go on to say that we are proud of the united states sir we might be proud of them but to say that we are proud of them is to speak most disingenuously who can be proud of a politically corrupt and financially rotten country with no more than a poor minority vainly striving after health and the saturday review while declaring over and over again as though to keep its courage up 
that of course there would be no war professed to think that if war came the humiliation of the united states would be instantaneous and bitter discussing the military resources of the two nations it declared america is now at a greater disadvantage compared with great britain than it was in eighteen twelve note thirty page four twenty eight as a purely academic question it may be permitted to hazard a conjecture as to the probable course and issue of such a war as then seemed for a moment possible president cleveland's message with its implied threat had been often spoken of as a colossal bluff and both then and afterwards men said that the united states must have yielded had the verge of war been actually reached it is true that the national military establishment in eighteen ninety six was wretchedly inadequate for any war whatever and most of all for war with the greatest naval power in the world for a number of years the creation of a system of modern coast defences had been slowly going on but as yet nothing had been completed there existed only the nucleus of works which it will still take years to finish when the president sent his bold message to congress there had been actually mounted only one high-powered modern gun of really formidable calibre so far as permanent defences and scientific fortifications were concerned every city on the entire american seaboard was practically unprotected against the attack of a powerful fleet portland boston new york baltimore charleston and savannah in the east and san francisco in the west together with a score of smaller cities invited capture by their weakness and their wealth many an english naval captain and many an english soldier must have thought longingly of this enormous mass of riches echoing perhaps old blucher's greedy exclamation was full of plunder note thirty one page four twenty nine nor as yet had the new american navy reached a gross sufficient to make it a factor in the problem of defence not a single first-class battleship had been completed and the cruisers alone were neither numerous enough nor powerful enough to meet the armoured squadrons of britain note thirty two page four twenty nine these facts must have been carefully conned over in the british war office during the last days of eighteen ninety five perhaps there was a moment when those whose touch could turn the scale may have been tempted to let it incline to war feeling as an englishman afterwards expressed it that we are likely to suffer in our self-respect our sense of personal security and in our pockets until we have succeeded in convincing some nation of the first class that we are ready for war note thirty three page four thirty on the other hand there were some considerations to offset the disparity of immediate resources there can be no doubt that in the first months of such a war the american seaboard would have suffered most severely some at least of the cities mentioned would have been laid under heavy contribution and some would possibly have been shelled or burned yet the military experience of later years has shown that even improvised or hastily constructed means of defence may suffice to hold a fleet in check and even to destroy a part of it the torpedo the floating mine and all the other deadly implements of naval warfare would have been developed and used with terrible effect by a people so ingenious so inventive and so daring as the americans and these devices supported by the heavily armoured double turreted monitors terror puritan amphitrite miantonimo monadnock and monterey would probably have saved new york and no doubt other cities for the fortune of war does not usually give all the successes to one side but granting that the british fleet might have dealt ruin and devastation to the entire atlantic seaboard this would have been only the beginning of the war the vast interior of the country would have still remained untouched its resolution unimpaired its resources unexhausted meanwhile the whole of canada would have been overrun by american armies 
it has been many times asserted and as many times denied that in the event of hostilities the british troops in canada heavily reinforced were to have commenced a campaign which sir redvers buller had been chosen to direct the subsequent career of this officer and his proved weakness and incompetence in south africa give one a criterion by which to judge what he would have done against enemies a hundredfold more numerous than the boers and ten thousandfold more able to sustain a long and wasting war indeed ere a single troopship could have sailed from england an army of half a million men would have swarmed across the canadian frontier the permanent conquest of all british america with the flourishing cities of victoria vancouver winnipeg toronto montreal quebec st john's and halifax would have been a more than adequate compensation for the hasty plundering of a few american seaports moreover the loss to great britain would have been tremendously augmented by the destruction of her commerce with the united states by the paralysis of her shipping trade which carried so large a share of american products by the cutting off of her abundant food supplies and perhaps by the confiscation of the hundreds of millions of british capital invested in american enterprises again as the war went on the american navy would have swiftly gained the power of taking the offensive in navy yards inaccessible to attack the battleships and formidable cruisers and torpedo boats already half completed would have been finished and new ones rapidly laid down until at last a mighty fleet would have issued to give battle on the open seas while swarms of commerce destroyers would have swept the ocean clean of british merchantmen already in eighteen ninety five at the opening of the german ship canal at kiel two of the new american cruisers the new york and the columbia had won the instant notice of foreign naval experts the columbia in particular both for the strength of her armament and her extraordinary speed was an object of curiosity and of some disquietude her speed became apparent on her return voyage when she made the passage from southampton to new york under natural draught and in heavy weather in six days and twenty-three hours distancing the english-built liner st louis and the german-built liner augusta victoria a score of cruisers such as the columbia able to escape from the more sluggish battleships and fitted to destroy all smaller craft would have put an end to ocean trade in british bottoms and would thus have ruined the great shipping interests of glasgow liverpool and london but there still remained another element which must have been seriously pondered by the british cabinet lord salisbury at the time may well have repeated bismarck's saying after sadowa in eighteen sixty six we are not living alone in europe involved in a gigantic war with the united states how would imperial britain have safeguarded her prestige in other quarters of the globe germany stood ready to grasp eagerly at the sceptre of commercial supremacy france would have extended her african possessions with the humiliation of a fashoda russian armies could have occupied constantinople or pushed back the frontiers of india the boers might have secured their independence without a blow or by setting forward the time for their great struggle have won it gloriously indeed had england and the united states engaged in war they would have taken quite unequal risks upon the latter nation the contest must have inflicted vast material losses its prosperity would have been crippled and its expansion checked for many a year yet in the end the republic would have emerged with no impairment of its power or prestige but to great britain which had so many hostages to give to fortune defeat would have spelled instant ruin while even victory if we concede that victory was possible must have been purchased at a price of which no englishman could think without a shudder fortunately so appalling a catastrophe was averted never perhaps again to be so imminent 
in the end public opinion in great britain came to recognize that no strip of south american territory even were it piled knee-high deep with gold was worth a war between the two great english-speaking peoples the blame of the whole unfortunate imbroglio was very justly laid upon lord salisbury for allowing what was in itself an unimportant question to drift into the magnitude of acasu's belly yet the impasse still continued however great the blunder which he had committed the british premier could scarcely cry picabi and ask the american president to forgive him it was then that the way to peace was made smooth by the american commission which mr cleveland had promptly appointed on january first this body through secretary olney asked the governments of great britain and venezuela for such documentary evidence as would aid it in its investigation in each case a most courteous assent was given a month later note thirty four page four thirty three ambassador bayard in view of the public demonstrations in both england and the united states proposed to lord salisbury that the venezuelan question be discussed at washington with a view to ultimate arbitration this was a decided proffer of the olive branch and lord salisbury responded five days later in a note in which he cordially agreed to mr bayard's suggestion and concluded with this significant sentence i have empowered sir julian ponsfote to discuss the question either with the representative of venezuela or with the government of the united states acting as the friend of venezuela this little sentence conceded the whole question at issue it recognized the united states as entitled to interfere on behalf of an american republic as against a european power and it tacitly withdrew the prior british declaration that such interference had no warrant in the law of nations in other words great britain accepted president cleveland's new interpretation of the monroe doctrine as a principle to be recognized thereafter in anglo-american relations soon after lord salisbury not to be gracious by halves withdrew his insistence upon the Schomburg line and agreed to submit the whole question to arbitration a formal treaty to that effect was signed in washington on february second eighteen ninety seven note thirty five page four thirty four it would be difficult to exaggerate the profound impression which the venezuelan affair produced upon the statesmen of continental europe an impression that was reflected in the press and in many monographs and special publications the prestige of the united states was enhanced immensely a fact of which americans abroad were made aware in many ways their country was now spoken of in a tone of grave respect that was altogether new a thoughtful observer who had carefully studied the drift of european opinion wrote that the best informed french and german journalists though they acknowledge the equity and prudence of the compromise which has been reached think it necessary to point out that it involves possibilities of considerable gravity not merely to england and the united states but also to the civilized world in general note thirty six page four thirty five and he cited the very able colniche zeitung as saying a precedent has been established by the joint action of the two anglo-saxon powers the effects of which are likely to be felt long after the british guiana boundary question has been forgotten but the most explicit statement of just what lord salisbury's concession meant was made by the london times in these pregnant sentences from the point of view of the united states the arrangement is a concession by great britain of the most far-reaching kind it admits a principle that in respect of south american republics the united states may not only intervene in disputes but may entirely supersede the original disputant and assume exclusive control of the negotiations 
great britain cannot of course bind any other nation by her action but she has set up a precedent which may in the future be quoted with great effect against herself and she has greatly strengthened the hands of the united states government in any dispute that may arise in the future between a south american republic and a european power in which the united states may desire to intervene note thirty seven page four thirty five in the united states many and various were the opinions then expressed regarding president cleveland's bold and somewhat startling course of the unfavorable criticisms uttered at the time it will be necessary to speak hereafter but perhaps the matured judgments of two able men who were not of mr cleveland's party may be cited as embodying the final verdict of his countrymen dr edward stanwood a close student of american political history and long an intimate friend of mr blaine summed up very briefly the outcome of the venezuelan episode as the most signal victory of american diplomacy in modern times note thirty eight page four thirty six and mr john w foster an experienced and sagacious diplomat who succeeded mr blaine as secretary of state in president harrison's cabinet gave his deliberate opinion in these words i regard the president's action as a consistent judicious and necessary application of the true intent and spirit of the monroe doctrine note thirty nine page four thirty six but whatever opinion may be held regarding the wisdom of president cleveland's action or the accuracy with which he then defined a fundamental doctrine of american policy one impressive fact cannot be questioned the interpretation which he gave was instantly accepted by his countrymen and has been confirmed and extended by his successors in less than a decade indeed its far-reaching significance was to receive a practical demonstration had nothing else occurred to make his administration memorable this venezuelan incident would have sufficed since through it president cleveland left an ineffaceable mark upon the history not of the united states alone but of the whole western hemisphere and of the world End of chapter nine